Welcome back to our Venture Sprout podcast, where we feature spin-ups and new co's that Vizient members are developing and launching across the country. I'm your host, Crystal Mollis, Vice President of Digital, Virtual Experience, and Ventures at Vizient. In this episode, we will feature Arista MD, a platform that allows payers and providers to quickly and cost-effectively launch specialist e-consults using their own specialist or those provided by Arista MD's board-certified panel of specialists. Joining me today is Glenn Olson, Vice President of Business Development at Arista MD, and Dr. Fred Thomas, an epidemiologist and the Executive Director of the Peer Mentored Care Collaborative at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Welcome to our podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. Great to be here. That's great. Thank you. Well, great. Well, let's just dive right into talking a little bit more about Arista MD and telling the story of Arista MD. So, if you guys will just start by giving our audience a little bit of understanding of who you are, your background, and your experiences, and how you were drawn to Arista MD and how you got involved with it. Sure. This is Glenn Olson. Why don't I go first? Why don't I start with a little bit of the story of Arista MD and then how I happened to join the organization. So some seven years ago, an executive at a health system that ultimately ended up being the founder of Arista MD was really bothered with some very fundamental problems that were occurring. And that was that patients were waiting way too long to receive specialty care that they needed. And in some cases, waiting up to a year. And so in looking at how to resolve that problem, she knew that from a network standpoint, she couldn't add more specialists. But on the front end, there was probably something she could do in that primary care providers in that day, it had become just far too easy to refer patients and not even try to manage their full care. And so she kind of had the brainchild that basically said, hey, what if I could provide specialty guidance to the primary care physician? That would probably avert the need to refer so many patients out. And by doing so, you're also speeding up care to those who really do need it from the specialist, and hence the building or the development of Arista MD. How I happened to find Arista MD and, and find it of great interest was during COVID, there were a lot of changes going on in the industry. And I saw, having come from a member engagement and telehealth background, what I found was that telehealth was growing very rapidly. But what Arista MD offered was a whole different spin on telehealth because, again, traditionally telehealth is known as that virtual communication between a patient and a provider, where the e-consult is a virtual communication between a primary care provider and a specialist. And that was a niche that wasn't being filled. So I saw it as a huge opportunity and I wanted to be a part of it. So that's how I became involved. This is Fred Thomas. I am an epidemiologist by training, but I've been in telehealth for about 19 years at this point. And so various responsibilities. And as Glenn mentioned, traditionally focused on telemedicine initially for a long period of time. And then in moving to Colorado seven or eight years ago, uh, director of telemedicine for Children's Hospital. And then responsibilities were added to include Echo Colorado, which is a workforce training and care innovation sort of uh, platform. And then over the last few years, as we developed the uh, Peer Mentored Care Collaborative, the focus was on how do we actually build out this spectrum of options that are a multitude of virtual possibilities 
to allow for increased access to care and to reduce the barriers for people who don't traditionally have access to specialty care. So our peer mentored care collaborative is a business unit within the School of Medicine focused on these non-direct to patient sort of encounters like ECHO and eConsult. And a few years back, as we were exploring the possibility of how we were going to expand our effort out across the state of Colorado, the University of Colorado Innovation Center and Arista had been in discussions about how they might develop that. What we wanted to see is the ability to have an agnostic sort of interface between our EMR and any other EMR in the state so that that information could be shared with the primary care providers and they could actually have access to our specialists at the University of Colorado. That's fantastic. It sounds like the value proposition for Arista benefits both obviously patients as they're able to get better access and broader access to specialty care. And then also for providers, you're providing a scaled solution, it sounds like, for a lot of providers. Talk about how Arista's platform actually works for providers and how you guys are leveraging it out at the University of Colorado. Okay. Well, the uniqueness of a e-consult is in the past been a bit cumbersome and a bit clunky. And what we needed to be able to do, which was called an external pivot. So internally, we had a system that we were focused on our internal specialists and our internal primary care providers being able to communicate through our instance of Epic. But when you turn externally to try to focus on how do you interact with the primary care providers and their patients who live in rural or faraway sort of locations, there's 15 or 20 different other EMRs, electronic medical records in the state of Colorado. So what you need to be able to do is to have these EMRs talk to each other and to have an interface that exchanges information in the same way so that it's not cumbersome or difficult to do. And so what we wanted to do, and Arista was able to kind of work with us to do that, is to develop a sort of agnostic pivot to allow us to interface with another FQHC and to actually build out a possibility of doing this workflow that we could actually very quickly and relatively inexpensively adapt it to other EMRs. So, Glenn, I'll come to you next and let you talk a little bit about how Arista's platform is different than other solutions or similar solutions that are in the market today. Sure. So one of the primary differences and probably a term that we run across very frequently and get compared to is a term called curbside consult. So prior to the advent of e-consults, the term curbside consult referred to the process of two physicians just talking. And the way the initial stories have been told is, you know, you have two physicians walking or passing in a hallway and one says to the other, you know, I've, I've run across this situation and the specialist they're talking to can say, yeah, I've I've had that. This is what we've done. The problem with that is there's no documentation of the communication trail. And in most cases, the specialist who's offering or commenting on this really sidebar conversation doesn't have PHI or any of the real specifics of the patient. So their response is very general. That has led to issues in the past. So to your question, when e-consults came to be, what we refer to them as a formal e-consult because the entire documentation trail is fully documented and a summary report is created where the specialist signs that and that signed summary report makes its way back to the patient charts. We've eliminated the concerns around the full documentation, but through the e-consult process, the primary care physician is able to provide all types of PHI, what could be labs, other supporting information. So when the specialist is responding, it's almost identical to a face-to-face -face visit minus the face-to-face -face piece. And that's the quality of consult that's being delivered here. So we 
we've really raised the bar in how traditional old time curbsides used to be done to now a formal e-consult. And I'll add to that that curbsides are a critical aspect of the collegiality aspect of interface between the specialty providers that are generally at an academic medical center and the primary care providers that are out in communities. And so in the best scenarios of those curbsides, you have a relationship, a bi-directional relationship where both individuals trust each other, like each other, can provide access back and forth relatively efficiently. And the worst scenarios that happen, the general question that a primary care provider has done through curbside would be to call and say, basically, Should you see them or could you see them? And generally, this is not enough information for the very complex sort of scenarios that might need to be discussed. And so the ability of an e-consult allows all the templates and the appropriate questions and the right questions relative to basically do a more efficient curbside, if you will, that allows sort of the question, not just the question, would you or could you, but here's the pertinent information about this. And here are the tests or any other results I have. And would you, Mr. or Mrs. Specialist, provide me input on whether or not that person does need to come to the academic medical center or I can treat them here in my primary care location and keep them in their community with some advice and some assistance and collaboration from you. And so it is not necessarily true uh, care delivery direct to patient. But like our medical director is always saying, you know, he's a trainer and an educator of residents and fellows, and he kind of likens it to the scenario if he's in his office and a resident or fellow walks through the door and says, I've got this really difficult patient in here, Dr. Pearson, uh, what should I do? And then Dr. Pearson gives information back to the resident or fellow, and that person goes back in and, and treats the patient. So is that education? Is that treatment? I mean, it's sort of this sort of middle ground with the idea of allowing for advice and consultation uh, to expand providers' capacity to care for patients uh, locally. That's a really great explanation in terms of helping us really visualize how this works, certainly from the provider perspective, but also the patients. But I'm curious, how have the patients responded? Do they even know this is happening, that there's a peer-to-peer e-consult dynamic going on around their care? How are they informed and what's been the response from the patient's perspective? Yeah. Well, this is an area where formally we need to do more work relative to getting feedback from patients about their thoughts about this particular process as it moves forward and becomes a much more of a mainstay in clinical care delivery. But as we know from work that we've done in our current set of specialties, 20-something odd specialties, the primary care provider does actually have to get a consent to allow this to happen. So the patient knows that they're being provided some feedback about their care scenario. This is really a scenario that has worried some specialty providers and primary care providers about how exactly do I say that, that you're going to perhaps get a charge for this in your medical record for someone you actually did not see. And so in the worst scenario relative to saying it like that or thinking about it that way, you could think a patient might be concerned. But for the primary care providers who really get this, I mean, it's really as casual as, hey, Mrs. Johnson or Mr. Johnson, I noticed something here in your test results or something that came up that I'm a little bit concerned about and I'm wondering what it might look like. No real concern just yet, but I have a colleague at the university that I can send a uh, consultation to and they 
can give us feedback. And so I think given uh, clear communication like that, it's very easy for a patient to get the value of it without having to schlep to a academic medical center and park and all of that. And it's also very clear in a relationship building that their primary care provider actually has the resources and the capacity to reach out to someone like that and then to provide them care locally. So I think done correctly, it's sort of a value add to the care scenario. And I'll add to that, Fred, I think the key word that I'm taking away, and I appreciate your explanation, but value add is the piece that comes to my mind immediately. And given the current environment that we've been through and currently exist in now with COVID, most patients, again, if I put myself in their shoe, I don't want to go to another doctor's office, wait in another waiting room and expose myself to something I don't really need to. So the value add from the primary care to be able to get that insight, avoiding me from having to go other places, seek additional care. That's huge. I think that's huge for any patient. Yeah. I think there's critical aspects of this that we're not trying to have primary care providers practice above their licensure or above their capacity, but actually to expand their capacity to practice within their licensure, but then to recognize also when they might be in a scenario that is over their head or over their capacity to treat locally and that they've built this relationship that's bi-directional again, that they feel comfortable with the ability to say, okay, I get that, but this scenario seems really complex and I do need to get them into care at the academic medical center. I think that's terrific. And I think for the average consumer, you know, just understanding how virtual technology just really does expand the virtual team that's caring for them, right? So they may be used to the physical team of care team providers that are caring for them, but you've really offered the opportunity to expand that where it's necessary, right? So I think that's a positive thing from the value-added perspective, especially for complex cases and complex diagnoses. So again, to your point, allows the primary care physician to access the specialty providers. So that's fantastic. So can both of you talk a little bit about the investment that providers make when they decide to step into a partnership with Arista MD, both from the platform perspective or anything that they need to consider from an infrastructure perspective in their organizations or staffing as well? So I can take a first stab at that. The goal here that we have, and this talks to our business model, is, again, the ultimate piece that we're working towards is to enable the primary care physician to utilize this tool, make it convenient for them, make it easy for them. And if you're able to do all that and they see positive results, you're going to see strong utilization. So, Crystal, to your question, there is no cost right now to the primary care physician to order an e-consult. And so within the University of Colorado School of Medicine, we have been able to seek funding that is providing right now to cover the cost of those e-consults. So the primary driver right now is, again, make it easy for the primary care physician, take cost out of the equation. And so from a technological standpoint, the platform is built so that it can be used independent of the EHR and also is designed so that the primary care physician has the choice. They can submit the e-consult or what typically is more common the case is a back office support person who generally would process the regular referrals processes the e-consult. So in fact, it doesn't even disrupt the provider's normal workflow. So again, we've tried to make this very easy to use, take the cost barrier out of it, and that's how we're seeing strong adoption. 
I really can't speak overall to the exact cost of all that, but I think Glenn makes some good points. And we're currently using a range of funds termed upper payment limit, which are flow through money from CMS or the Center for Medicare and Medicaid. And all of those monies are focused on expanding access to specialty care to Medicaid populations. So our effort has been in partnership with Colorado Medicaid to focus on how do we actually help the people who have the biggest barriers and traditionally the least amount of access to have more specialty care and to have ready access to specialty care. And this allows that to happen. From the time perspective on both ends, it is really critical, as Glenn has mentioned, for the proper training and support and all of that. So on our side, at the specialty side, they go through training about how they go about doing this, how they answer the templates, the amount of time that they have to answer the e-consult by a certain amount of time and the whole process of that. And then a quality improvement sort of aspect that we actually incorporate to make sure that we're giving data back on a regular basis and, and sort of a feedback loop to make sure that for the sections to know how this is impacting their increase and in allowing access to care in their area. From the primary care perspective, it's also important for training so that they move beyond that idea of the curbside and then sort of think about how they and when they should use this sort of mechanism as a bit of a continuum again of is this tele, is this e-consult, is this echo, is this in person? And for it to be an iterative approach where it's not just sort of this or nothing, but I had this set of tools in my toolkit and which one should I use for the appropriate level of care and access for this particular patient? Well, it's terrific. You did talk about some of the things you've already done to remove the barrier to adoption, including costs. You've made it easy to enter or step into ARISTA-MD. Have there been any other barriers that you've had to address relative to reimbursement or regulatory or licensure across state lines? Any scope of practice challenges that have come up during the process? I think there are always aspects like that in any sort of adaptation of care delivery. And so the idea about when this is billable and how it's billable, it's still not a black and white sort of answer, and it depends a great deal. And so what we've been spending a whole lot of time on is demonstrating the impact of the use of e-consult to demonstrate that it is cost effective. And although we don't have direct feedback in our current data from patients per se, as a survey or something that they like or don't like. And generally, we're feeling like I think it's 80-something or 90% of providers say that they like the e-consults. And then the quality of care is generally looked at in a way of, does a specialty visit have to happen in person after the e-consult within a certain number of days? And if that's something that happens, then you sort of think, well, maybe that e-consult didn't do an appropriate level of care, but that's very low. And so we're seeing that that's not happening. And we're also seeing that none of these visits are translated into a visit to the emergency room, which would kind of get at your safety aspect or your safety question, or are e-consults safe? So we've been publishing papers and writing briefs on this to inform our systems and our payers about the ability to kind of add this as another tool in the toolkit post-COVID. COVID sort of just sort of blew the top off relative to the use of telehealth out there. Right now, systems, payers, as we kind of come out of COVID, are trying to figure out what is the right use of telehealth? What is the right sort of fit? Where does it fit related to care delivery? And how do these different tools fit in that as well? A little bit like a recipe and a cake, if you will. And maybe that's a bad metaphor, but it's sort of 
how much of this, how much of this, how much of that are the right sort of recipe for care delivery. And again, not black or white, but an iterative, we have all these different tools, let's figure out what the right use of them are collectively to assure that people have access to care. Yeah, Fred, I think you're spot on and quite simply put patients access care in different ways. And so within a global telehealth strategy, you have to have your arsenal built with all these different technologies to enable the right care to be delivered. Terrific. Well, talk a little bit about the buyer in the organization. Is this an enterprise purchase for a hospital or health system or an academic medical center? And and in the same context, you can talk about the profile of the organizations who best benefit from Arista MD, or are you selling it straight out to primary care physicians? I guess I should say unemployed primary care physicians. How's that working? Talk a little bit more about that buyer. I appreciate the question and the flexibility there because there actually could be a number of different buyers. And from a starting point, if you look at who holds the financial risk of a patient, that's probably a good place to start. In some cases, it's the health plan. So the health plan could actually be the buyer and the reimburser for these services because when e-consults are deployed, they see a significant up to 70% reduction in specialty referrals. They see a reduction in ER visits. They see see an improvement in their network adequacy. So the health plan could be the purchaser or reimburser in their case. The health system may be looking for a way to better integrate communication between their primary care physicians and their specialists. And this platform could be the tool to help facilitate that communication. You also have at a clinic level, there are some federally qualified health clinics, FQHCs, that have assumed full financial risk for the total cost of care on that patient. In that world, they could be the purchaser of the system or the use of the tool. So it's varied. In our use cases thus far, we have, I think, about 90% of private payers, you know, your usual insurance companies who cover our patients, and then about 10% or thereabouts are Medicaid. And so, Both of those systems are trying to figure out how they go about using this in sort of the right approach to demonstrate that this actually provides good care and cost-efficient care for the individuals who are covered in their plans. And so as we begin working on use cases to demonstrate the impact and the use case, what we've done is select a number of different systems um, and to try to be diverse about them so that we can actually go and do these efforts external from our system and to demonstrate that it's scalable and it works across any number of different systems to focus on doing what, in effect, it's supposed to do, which is provide access to specialty care and for people to get adequate care without having to travel to the academic medical center. Well, Glenn and Fred, that ends part one of our discussion and we'll continue in our next episode. And to our listeners, thank you for joining this episode of the Visient Ventures podcast. If you are a Visient member and subscribe to our network offerings, we encourage you to register to attend our full experience on the new digital frontier as we explore healthcare spinups and new co's. This experience includes additional podcasts featuring the new co's and a matchmaking venture summit. In that summit, we will feature several member spinups and give you the opportunity to have one-on-one conversations to explore relationships that could lead to investment opportunities, co-development, and or a buying opportunity with these companies. So if you're a C-suite leader, you've received an email from us to register for these events. We look forward to seeing you there. 